Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I'm recording this one ahead of time, unusually for me. So I hope nothing incredibly horrible has happened in the next two weeks. But, you know... (laughs) Life is full of mystery. Uh, Anyway, let's get started. This time we are talking about The Unspoken Name and The Thousand Eyes by A.K. Larkwood. Here is the summary of The Unspoken Name. What if you knew how and when you will die? Kasorwe does. She will climb the mountain, enter the shrine of the unspoken, and gain the most honored title, sacrifice. But on the day of her foretold death, a powerful mage offers her a new fate. Leave with him and live. Turn away from her destiny and her god to become a thief, a spy, an assassin, the wizard's loyal sword. Topple an empire and help him reclaim his seat of power. But Kasorwe will soon learn... Gods remember, and if you live long enough, all debts come due. The Unspoken Name was published in 2020, and The Thousand Eyes was published in 2022. Our author, A.K. Larkwood, plies her trade in Oxford, England, where she lives with her wife and their cat. The Unspoken Name was her first book. I wonder how many debut books I have talked about on this podcast. I feel like it's been a few, and I think that's mostly to do with the Book of the Month Club, since they would feature debut authors pretty frequently. I'm sure that's something I will eventually add to my reading spreadsheet and keep track of, but for right now, it doesn't matter. Larkwood was nominated for the 2021 and 2022 Astounding Award for Best New Writer, an award which is apparently presented at the Hugo Awards, but is not actually a Hugo Award. I'm going to include a link to Larkwood's website in the show notes. She has a page for a lot of her, like, interviews and, like, different podcast episodes she's been on talking about writing and storytelling, which I thought was neat. As I mentioned, I'll be talking about two books in this episode. They comprise the Serpent Gates duology. Since I read them in pretty quick succession, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the duology as a whole rather than in separate episodes or the way I usually do it, which is just talking about the first book. And this is brought to you by the fact that I took a break and got ahead in my script writing. Uh, It turns out that planning things in advance gives you more time to adapt to changing circumstances or, for example, to read the second book in a duology before your episode comes out. (laughs) Who knew? And I've been wondering, are duologies, like, in vogue right now? Are they just popular right now? Have they always been popular and I'm only just noticing it now? I feel like I have seen more and more duologies in the last five years than I have ever in my life, but I also only really started paying attention to books in the last five to ten years. Not books, but like publishing trends and 
that kind of thing. Obviously, I'm not keeping track of that very closely, but it's very different from when I was a teenager. And the way I chose what books to read is I would just go to the library or to half price and pick anything that looked vaguely interesting, which worked pretty well for a long time. What was I talking about? Um, I liked these books a lot. This is like a fantasy world with a delightful layering of almost sci-fi objects. There are, for example, portals between worlds, kind of like Stargates, if you're familiar with the Stargate franchise. Are they, are the worlds simply planes of existence? Are they other planets? Who knows? Not me. They are known as Serpent Gates, and that's where we get our duology title from. There are also airships, because you gotta have a way to travel through the gates. There are also wizards and the gods they get their magical powers from. I know the gates and the airships aren't exclusively sci-fi, but my first impression was that this was an unusual fantasy world. And I like that. I like to be surprised by fantasy after 20 years of reading it nonstop. The more this story unfolded and world building and characters became clearer and more defined, the more invested I was, and honestly, the more excited I was to see where it was going. Our first book begins with Kasorwe, the chosen bride of the unspoken name, which is a phrase replete with possibility. What does any of that even mean? We'll find out. She's young and has spent her whole life preparing to die in service to her god, the unspoken name. When she turns 14, she'll be sent up the mountain into the god's shrine and will never be heard from again. Kosorwe has never considered another option. When you've been raised in an isolated environment, told by everyone around you that this is your purpose— how do you even begin to imagine that there are other possibilities for you? That your life might be more than a slow march to an early death? And then a wizard comes along and, as wizards are wont to do, disrupts everything. Belthandros Sethenai offers Kasorwe another choice. Come with him on a quest for a long-lost magical artifact. He'll give her a new life and a new purpose. She, of course, agrees to go with him because otherwise this would be a very short book. But also the thought of stealing even one more day to live is too powerful to resist. Once they leave the shrine, there's a little bit of a time skip. Kusorwe learns a great deal, sees more of the world than she even knew existed. She learns languages and stealing and sword fighting and identifying magic, and she becomes Sethanai's sword arm, his tool. He is cold and aloof and concerned mainly with solidifying his own power. Typical wizard nonsense. Also, Larkwood does this so well because you're like, is this an evil wizard? The whole time you're like, mm, seems kind of like evil wizard stuff, but she just 
like the way Kasorwe thinks about Seth and I, it's just a little obscured for quite a while. <laughs> because Kasorwe knows she owes Seth and I her life. He took her from the shrine of the unspoken name, taught her how to make her own way in the world. How do you repay that debt? How do you even begin? So she makes a new life and tells herself that she is content to do her work and is satisfied with Seth and I's treatment of her. And just as she has settled in and become comfortable with her life, it's time to change everything, to help Seth and I take control of his old city that he was ousted from 20 years ago or something. So she sneaks into the palace and must face betrayal, danger, torture, and a giant person-eating snake to get Seth and I the information he needs to regain control. No problem. She's got this. And she does indeed. But returning Seth and I to power in his city is only step one of a much bigger journey. Don't forget, this wizard is on a quest. He is searching for the reliquary of Pentvarnessa. 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 I can't say these words. These are fantasy words. The reliquary is a relic from long ago, from before the shattering of Ariscaval, the Lady of the Thousand Eyes. Now, I love me a mysterious, calamitous event from the distant past. Basically, Ariscaval was a god who was betrayed by her people and exploded, destroying their world in revenge for betraying her. This is extremely simplified. So shattered remnants of this god found their way to many disparate worlds. Pentvarnes was Iskraval's Ariscaval's. I can do this. <laughs> Pronunciations. There's even a pronunciation guide in this book. <sighs> we can do it. Pentvarnes was Ariscaval's most loyal follower. It's probably important to explain at this point that wizards get their power from the gods, and gods are usually bound to the world that they are from. So if you're a wizard from world A, you get your power from god A, and then if you go to world B through one of the serpent gates, you will have less power because you are further away from your god. There are ways around this, but the basic premise holds true. And if, for example, your god explodes into a million different pieces, you probably can't get that much power from them, even if you track down the shattered pieces. Now, rumor has it that the reliquary contains all of Pentvarnes's research, ancient knowledge which could increase the power of any practitioner. And wizards love a source of long-lost arcane knowledge, the use of which will inevitably destroy them. Because what are wizards but vehicles for hubris? <laughs> so Kusorwe is still helping Seth and I look for the reliquary. And while she's on yet another world, chasing rumors of the reliquary, Kusorwe meets Shuthmili, a mage from yet another world, and is shocked to find one, 
a hot wizard lady, and two, someone like Kasorwe used to be. Someone raised to sacrifice herself and be grateful for the opportunity. Someone who is never taught that they have another choice, basically. On Shuthmili's world, on Karzash, there is a corrupting god. The more power you have and use, the more likely this god will come for you and use you to return to the mortal world. To prevent this, Karzashi mages are linked together in a hive mind, losing all remnants of individuality and serving as weapons or protectors for their empire. And Kasorwe looks at that situation and remembers what it was like to believe that your only choice was to die. And then to have someone come along and tell you that it's not true, that you don't have to die. Kasorwe begins to question remaining in Sethanai's service. She feels drawn to Shuthmili, wants to offer her the same chance that Sethanai offered Kasorwe years ago the chance to make her own way in the world. So Kusorwe uses the power of also being a hot lady and being extremely stubborn and difficult to shake off to convince Shuthmili to run away with her. But the Karzash Empire, where Shuthmili is from, doesn't want to let go of the power Shuthmili has, power that would help keep their empire secure. And let's not forget, Sethanai expects Kasorwe to remain loyal to him, to continue doing what he wants. So they get away, but they are chased by an empire, and Kasorwe has just betrayed her probably evil wizard master. I'm sure this will be fine. And then, of course... Someone from Kusorwe's past appears and reminds her that the unspoken name hasn't forgotten Kusorwe either. The god never forgets those once bound to its service. At the end of book one, they manage to scare the Karzash away and threaten Sethanai into leaving them alone and uncover the truth of the reliquary of Penfarnas and Ariskaval, Lady of the Thousand Eyes. They fly off into the sunset, aware they're living on borrowed time. Kasorwe has unfinished business with the unspoken name. Shuthmili's corrupter god gets louder with every piece of magic that she does. But it's their time to do with as they wish. And then we get to the second book, where everyone's happy and nothing bad happens forever. Um... <laughs> Uh, so the second book finishes off nicely, all the story threads brought up in book one. The shattered goddess, Ariskaval, Lady of the Thousand Eyes, returns. Her different aspects, pieces of her that have been scattered to different worlds, each of them thinks of themselves as the true incarnation of Ariskaval. Ariskaval. <laughs> I can do it. So if you've ever seen the one with Jet Li or like, Highlander, you get the idea. You know, there can be only one. Ariskaval's aspects fight for dominance over Sethanai's world. But you know that once a crazed god emperor gains control of one world, it's only a matter of time before they decide to uh, 
conquer everything else. So the gods fight amongst themselves. But what happens to the mortals caught in the crossfire? Shuthmili and Kasorwe are caught in the middle, fighting as always for the chance to live their life the way they want. In order to survive, they must make bargains with the gods and hope to come out the other side unscathed. These books tend to skip forward, so there is a time skip of 14 years in the second book, which is the longest time skip in both books. And after that, we meet Sareg, the last chosen bride of the unspoken name, another child burdened by a duty of sacrifice. Sareg must kill the god empress Ariskaval, the shattered goddess, the lady of the thousand eyes, and all her forms before she destroys all the worlds in her quest to recreate her lost empire. Standing in the way is Shuthmili, the most powerful mage from the Karzashi Empire, who has sworn to protect the aspect of Ariskaval that has taken over Kasorwe's body. There's also Sethanai, who wants to wrest power away from Ariskaval and might somehow be worse than the god empress. And let's not forget the army of giant shape-shifting snake people protecting the goddess. No problem. I enjoyed the world crossing through Stargates, the maze world they travel through, which is slowly consuming the uninhabited worlds, the wizard shenanigans, including that using magic will eventually melt your bones and turn you into goo. There are crumbling ruins, a world with an ocean-deep forest where most inhabitants live in the treetops and forest whales lurk in the depths. It's delightful. Kosorwe provides a tired, grounded perspective on some truly crazy wizard's shenanigans. She would be content to live in a city, join a mercenary group, and live out her days gardening. Unfortunately, fate conspires. And I was immediately rooting for Sareg, who is up against incredibly difficult odds with barely any help but has a kind of deadpan, sarcastic view of life for someone who's only 14, bless their heart. Like I said, I read the sequel almost immediately after the first one, which is a minor miracle for me these days. And these were both the kind of books where you wonder what else could possibly happen. If you've read Uprooted, you know what I mean. Things just kept happening. Additional plots and arcs kept unfolding. It's like when you get through a bunch of loops on a roller coaster and then it's a straight way and you're like, whew, that was fun. Glad this roller coaster is over. Only to realize you're just halfway through. The first part of the unspoken name from Sethanai taking Kasorwe from the shrine to Kasorwe helping Sethanai return to power could have been a book on its own. There's enough plot and world here that Larkwood could have gotten four to six books out of it easily. And so I wonder how the decision to make it a duology came about, whether it was her original intent or merely a product of the publishing industry. Like, it's probably harder to sell four to six books to a publisher when you're a first-time author than it is to sell two books. And I don't want you to get the impression that the story was lacking in any way, even with, like, the time skips and the packed action, I think the story came to a satisfying conclusion. 
Would I have read four books of this? Absolutely. But they don't lose anything as a duology. Larkwood simply focuses in on the story that she wants to tell. So if you want more media like this, I'm gonna say Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. They do a similar thing with mashing sci-fi and fantasy together, and they do have similar humor. I liked the Serpent Gates duology better, but I've said before that I just don't think the writing style of Gideon the Ninth is for me. So I know lots of people love it. I'm very happy for them. Okay, join me next time to hear about one of those old fantasy books no one has ever heard of, Eldry the Healer by Claudia J. Edwards. We're going to have a good time with that one, I promise. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon. Dun dun dun.